0: What's up, fantasy nerds? Welcome to episode 88 of the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Rob Santos, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. (laughs) How's it going, everybody? (laughs) And to join us on our journey through Oathbringer, the third book in Brandon Sanderson's Stormlight Archive, is none other than Joshua Harkey of the 17th Shard. What's up, Josh? Thanks for coming.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. I I guess I should uh, mention um, on... On 17th shard Reddit, I go by Jafwa, So probably most people would know me by that rather than my real How, name. And that
0: yeah, and just for the record, that is spelled J-O-F-W-U. It is. And yes. if
2: you listen to the legendarium, it's Jafu. It
0: yeah, usually that. <laughs> 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 that sounds like something I could see Craig getting in on. I am I am so stoked to begin this next Stormlight book. So let's just get right at her. Drew, would you please find it in your heart to give us our weekly recap?
2: Oh, and I do have to find it in my heart, because this is take two. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, for those listening, Drew McCaffrey forgot to start his recording, so... Uh, <laughs> yep. As I've already said once before tonight, um, we start off with an Esholai, uh, Esholai point of view in the infamous prologue, The Night of Gavilar's Death we find out exactly how the Parshendi went about organizing the assassination. It was a very spur-of-the-moment thing, uh, after Eshani was shown by Gavilar that he wanted to bring back the Parshendi's gods, and they were very much not down with that. So, with some supernatural help, they had previously hired a slave who also happened to be quite an assassin, and they pointed him directly at Gavilar. From there, we head to our main narrative, Picking up after Words of Radiance, where most of the group is in Uruthiru, and we principally follow two different characters' points of view. We have Kaladin, who has left Uruthiru and is heading to Hearthstone to warn his family of the impending Everstorm, hitting from the wrong direction. He arrives too late to find a ruined village, but a mostly intact populace. He reunites with his parents, discovers he has a younger brother now. He punches Roshone in the face, mm-hmm. and then he, he leaves and meets up with some newly-minted singers after the Everstorm passed. He is an erstwhile prisoner of theirs before discovering new forms called the Fused, including some Windrunner forms. Kaladin has a brief encounter with them before hitching a ride on the new, uh, new Highstorm and heads on back to Uruthiru. Meanwhile, the whole time in Uruthiru, we follow uh, Dalinar and Adeline and Shallan, as they discover Sadius has been killed, and Dalinar assigns Adeline, uh as the leader of the investigation into the murder he committed. <laughs> Shallan helps him out with that, and in the process, they discover some copycat murderer, uh, murders happening. They discover they are the work of an evil spren, one of the unmade, Reshefir, the Midnight Mother. And Shallan leads a pretty epic charge through the... Uh, the the basement halls of Urithiru and chases her off. But there's one more scene afterward. A new arrival in Urithiru as Yasna Kolin returns.
0: Yeah, my girl Yasna, for anybody who's listening, you already know how much of a fan of Yasna I am if you've made it this far into our Stormlight coverage. I was so excited to see her finally show up there on scene in Urithiru. So ready for it. And such a perfect way to end that that part with that Driving line. I loved it. So. Okay. Yes, indeed. Let's begin with our style points. <clears throat> and and before we do, I want to admit that every time I dive back into Oathbringer, things feel a little bit surreal. You know, I reread The Way of Kings and Words of Radiance so many times after their release. And I, and I listened to them even more times over audiobook while I was at work, while I was at wel- like welding. And in a really weird way, part of my brain sees like, sees Words of Radiance in the Way of Kings as distinct halves of an entire thing in some stupid way. As if the entire series somehow ended after Kaladin and Zeth's clash above Narok and the arrival of the Everstorm and the finding of Eurythiru. I know that sounds dumb. I, I know from pretty much, like, I knew from pretty much day one that, you know, Stormlight was going to be a ten-book series. But when you read the same two books thirty times <laughs> each over the course of seven years, reading anything else with these characters just kind of feels strange and that's the feeling i got when i first started with oathbringer particularly with the preview chapters way back when it was something i had anticipated for so long that it almost felt wrong to actually have it when we pick up with kaladin trudging despondently through like rural alethkar and Shallan is Drinking her way through the taverns of Eurethero, some small part of me just couldn't accept that I actually finally have this. It just felt alien. And I'm kind of amused, you know, in hindsight, that I, that I felt this way three years after release. It's odd, but there it is. It just, like I said, it feels surreal to finally be reading things happening inside Eurethero. Yeah, well...
1: I actually feel the same way I, for a different reason. This is actually the first book that I, um, that I read... Like as it was being published, um, the other two were already published oh. when I started reading, um, oh. and so that was kind of a I guess a, a bit of it what contributed to it. But I I think that there's a good reason to feel that way as well because it is really a big turning point in the story. Um, at the end of at the end of Words of Radiance, the world really opens up. The Everstorm comes around. Right, everything everything changes. And so yeah. I think when this book starts off, it's he has a lot to to juggle. There there's it's doing a lot that Words of Radiance did not have to do.
2: Yeah, most certainly. And, and you know, I I agree as well, mostly because this is only my second time reading this book. I, so, I, can't, uh, I
0: still can't believe that. That's amazing yeah, to me.
2: Yeah, I, I read Oathbringer. Yeah, I, I picked up my, my pre-ordered copy from the bookstore the day it came out. I took the day off work. I went home, sat down on the couch, and pretty much didn't get up until I was done with it, you know, around midnight that night. And I haven't touched it since then. So it's... Uh, it is surreal
0: reading this book again. <laughs> How and, you manage to read a book this size in one day itself? That's disgusting. Is hard to believe for me, knowing you even as well as I know you. That's you know that's amazing to me. A four hundred twenty thousand word book in a day. Fifty four thousand. Oh, that's right. Minutes? It was Words of Radiance. That was like four twenty, <laughs> wasn't it? Oh, <laughs> oh my god.
2: No, uh, I mean it's that's always been a. a tradition for me even going back to the wheel of time where whenever you know I, I had to wait years for a new book to come out in in this you know hyped series that I was so into and I would always make sure that I could just as soon as possible sit Swallow down no other it was, it was no the other same. obligations for but the, the only day difference between you
0: just, and I is I was taking two days off of work to do that you were banging <laughs> it out by midnight
2: <laughs> oh man but that's amazing uh, to me but yeah, un- unfortunately, that, that tradition went away with Rhythm of War, but we'll get to that when we get to our Rhythm of War episodes. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, yes. But but like Josh said, he's he's exactly right. This does feel like a new chapter where Way of Kings and Words of Radiance really are bookends to a certain kind of storyline. This is the beginning of a new one, and... While it still feels like the Stormlight Archive, you know, it's still the same characters. They, you know, they're, they're growing and, and changing, of course, but they're still the same characters. It's still the same world. But the kind of story it is is changing from the very focused narrative we got in the first two books, where so much of it was just aimed at the shattered planes. And now the story, like, for instance, in The Shadow Rising in The Wheel of Time, where the first few books are, are pretty focused stories... This is the book that just opens it up, and now you know we're not just stuck in one location or two locations. If you you know you kind of Carbranth with Shalon, now we're seeing the world really bloom, and and that's it's a pretty neat thing to experience. You know, with uh, this is Brandon Sanderson's big chance to show us what he's got with his world building.
1: Hmm. I would say even it's it's not even exactly like um, Shadow Rising because it's Shadow Rising kind of opens it up over the course of the book. Um, Oathbringer, mm-hmm. especially part one, has the the challenge of Words of Radiance kind of kick the door open and now all of a sudden he has to take all that stuff that we were left with and then make something cohesive out of it and start the book off mm-hmm. with a with a purpose and not just kind of ambling around pointlessly. So. It's a it's a tough thing to do with part one. I think he does a good job with it. But.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so as this is kind of my first style point, uh, and and that is the structure of part one, and <clears throat> and what what Brandon tends to do with part ones in the Stormlight Archive, how he, 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 in the Way of Kings, you know, we we talked about part one, and and I wasn't entirely complimentary. Uh, I, I had some pacing issues with that book, and and it's largely because he had to set so much groundwork for a giant series at the beginning of the first book, of course, and and even then he manages to to stay with a, a pretty similar narrative structure throughout the first three books in the part ones, where we have the introduction of a a sort of long term goal for each of the characters in in the Way of Kings. This long term kind of narrative for Kaladin is he's a, he's a slave, he's a violent slave with a mysterious past and he's he becomes a bridge man and he has to fight this growing darkness inside him and he has a mini climax at the end of part one, you know, with the honor chasm and he decides not to jump and he chooses life before death and with Shalon, you know, we, we have her long term kind of narrative established where she's going to steal Yasna's soul catcher uh, Soulcaster. And Soulcatcher. <laughs> I, I got black company on my mind. Um, and uh, and and then she has her mini climax at the end of the part where she finally convinces Yasna to accept her as her ward. And we we have these things. And so in Oathbringer, we still have that. Where Kaladin has this more long-term conflict established where he sees what the Parshendi are doing. He, he gains some empathy toward their plight. And he has his mini-climax where he encounters the Fused and and runs back to Earth And with Shallan and Adeline, we have a a more long-term goal established with Shallan's personalities developing. And then a mini-climax, encountering the Midnight Mother and defeating her. And so he he keeps this going across the three of them, but he's able to pack so much more into the beginning of Oathbringer because he's already done the groundwork in Way of mm. Kings and Words of Radiance, and it's it's pretty impressive writing.
0: Yeah, you know, in a way, it's Brandon Sanderson, you know, unleashed in, without having the shackles of having to to explore this world and instill this world <laughs> in your brain. On, you know subconsciously he can just start writing whatever the hell he wants to write and doing whatever the hell he needs to do and it's evident that it, w- it must have been fun to do because this is an incredibly fun part of the book to read I mean the entire thing is fun to read but right from the right from the get-go we have action I shouldn't say right from the get-go, but part one being the get-go, we have action. This climax beneath Uruthir with here, with the Midnight Mother. We 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 had the whole mystery leading up to it. What the heck? Who is the the mystery of or who's the identity of the killer? How many killers are there? You know the the creepy Spren that was discovered and them chasing the Spren. It was it was it was horrifying, but it was still exciting and to have a. a, a I don't want to say a mid-book climax, but to have a climax of sorts in part one, I see as a very ballsy move, but somebody with the experience and with the talent of Brandon Sanderson, it can be done correctly and it can be done perfectly. I really, really liked it.
2: Yeah. I, and I think that builds into the way he structures these Stormlight books, where he's he talks about how it's really three books in one. And... This yeah. this climax here really feels like the climax of a smaller novel uh, around Dalinar and Adeline and Shallan.
0: Hmm. Yep. My only other style point is something that I really can't discuss fully until we get to our Cosmos <laughs> uh, spoilers discussion. I want to discuss these epigraphs, but I, I, in a way I just can't because everything I want to say about them should wait for the end of the book. Or at least when we get to the end of this episode. But these epigraphs, your first time reading them, how did you feel? Both of you. Let's let's start with Josh.
1: Um, it's hard for me to separate them from like doing the uh, like all the preview reads because every week we're getting these tours, like we're releasing yeah. the the chapters, right? And it was just like oh, yeah. this guessing game of like who's it gonna be? And like every week it's like, oh no, it's it's Yasna this time. Oh no, it's Dalinar. Oh, it's Yasna. Oh, it's Renard. Like it we were going all over the place. I don't know. It was it was a fun mystery. Um, it's, it's, they're less fun to me on a reread. Um, some, some epigraphs are like fun even when I'm rereading Stormlight. These are kind of a little bit more like, okay, I already, you know, I, I know what's there. I know the, I know the mystery. Um, but certainly on the first time, it was a lot of fun to, I don't know, try and figure out who it was and, and what it had to do with the story.
0: Yeah. I remember arguing with Drew saying, uh, dude, yasna it has to be yasna Hello. I, boom, yeah. boom, boom, boom. I was, I was a
2: hundred percent wrong. I was. Thoroughly no. convinced that it was Yasna, the first time I was using these.
0: Oh yeah, no, you were not. You yes, argued with I me that it wasn't Yasna. It didn't no. have to be Yasna, and I was like, "Uh, dude, no. it has to be." And you were so adamant no. that it can't. It we're not 100 percent on that yet. I have the freaking chat tra- the chat sh- transcripts. I was I was like in the comments on the Tor.com reread. I was so convinced it was Yasna.
3: It
2: was I did just, not mm.
0: want it to be. Who it was? <laughs> this must have been. This must have been before we had our discussion, you and I, because I remember being so infuriated with you. I was like, "How can you? What are you talking about? There is no other thi- no other person that could be." And you were like, "Well, yeah, it's probably. This is what it looks like, but we can't be certain yet." And I was so frustrated I mean, yeah, with you. Yeah, I, I that. may have
2: been. I may have been playing a little devil's advocate, but I was very wrong in my prediction. Okay. I was. Okay. I was pretty annoyed at the end of the book, when it was revealed who it was, and it was not Yasna, and I was like,
0: mm, I was wrong, you know? <laughs> yeah, okay, you were just annoyed about being wrong, not that it was, like, a stylistic mistake or anything Oh, like no, that. yeah, yeah, not at okay. all, not at all. <laughs> yeah. That's everything I have to say today about style, because I'm just so excited to talk about characters. Anything else style-oriented that uh, one of you oh, two yeah. wants to get out of the way? Either I'm one?
2: very surprised that you didn't bring this up, Rob, because you're the dramatic irony guy.
0: This oh, part is just... I have that about Adolin's or actually, it's in my points about Shalon, but yeah, I, I do go into style yeah, about dripping with dramatic irony. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan of dramatic irony in this whole plot line of Adolin being being appointed to you know chief investigator of the murder that he committed, and how unnerved he is over the the existence of other mir- of other murders that are mirroring exactly what happened and the way he's he's postulating to Shalong, well, we don't we don't know it's the same murderer it could be two murderers and she's just what are you talking about why would you go there and, you know, oh, i was just saying it's just oh my god it's, you could you could take that and you could squeeze it out and pour yourself <laughs> a cup of dramatic irony and sip on it it's so nice and that's not even going into
2: uh, uh, Amaram's arrival and Shallan's just like, this guy killed my brother. <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I love yeah. it. I did love it. But yeah, most of my, my point about dramatic irony there, I actually had in my Shallan point, but I, uh, oh, okay. I guess I won't have to go over that now. You just save me a little bit about Shallan. Cool. Yeah. Josh, did you have any more about
2: uh, writing style? Uh,
1: it's a small thing, but I like uh, how much mystery there is when we with the tower itself. Um, what, with a lot of things, actually, I don't know. I guess you start off, and you've got you've got the Stormfather is now part of the story, um, and then the tower's there, and they're expecting to like walk in and like find like all these ancient texts that are going to reveal like you know everything that we didn't know. Um, I like that we start off, and and none of that is quite what you expected. With the tower, there's Rishafir is there, who's kind of totally kind of corrupting a lot of people's experiences with the tower. Um, the tower itself is something's wrong with it it's not what it should be um oh, and yeah. then spooky S- stormfather you kind of come to find out like he he doesn't want to say some things that you feel like he should say you know but he he's he's a sprint and you know he's he's stubborn he has reasons for not being what we want him to be um and then there's some things that he just doesn't know that you we thought like you know oh you're like this like God sprint, like you know everything right and he's like no like i, I don't know everything so i mm-hmm. i like that I really really there's a limit on there's, there's mystery still in, in the story as we're, as we're starting it off.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to talk about the Dalinar-Stormfather relationship as well. I know I've got some gripes going forward there.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's a it's a good thing to bring up as far as style goes in how Brandon, you know, he writes epic fantasy, but he finds opportunities to work in, to weave in other genres. You know, we, we talked about on our, uh, our Patreon episode for uh, Shadows for Silence in the Forest of Hell, how, how Brandon Sanderson wrote a, a horror story in an epic fantasy story. And here we have a murder mystery written into uh, you know, into an epic fantasy story. Um, and I, I got to admit, I, I have murder mysteries on my mind a lot recently. Uh, um, one of my co-workers just launched a, a murder mystery website, uh, called Dastardly Deeds. It's like dd, Ooh, I like that, DDMystery.com or something like that. I like the alliteration, um,
0: yeah.
2: yeah. The it's, a, it's a pretty pretty funny. Um, there's like a, a craft beer brewery murder mystery and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, but yeah. It, you know, it, this is this is Brandon Sanderson writing other genres under the umbrella of epic fantasy, and that's one of those reasons that I love speculative fiction so much is the flexibility and and how a writer can take the same genre as another writer and write a completely different kind of story. If you're if you're looking at a, a just a straight murder mystery, you're going to get very similar stories in that genre. But if you have epic fantasy, you can write a murder mystery in an epic fantasy, you know? Or you can write a horror story, or you can write a, an adventure story, or a quest story, or whatever, a coming of age story. Mm-hmm. It's it's so versatile as a genre. The
1: sports yeah. story. Do I, I to... you ever hear the Brandon talk about how uh, Bridge Four is a sports story? There's somewhere where he talks mm-hmm. about oh, it's, I uh, it. <laughs> it's he compares the Bridge Four story of Way of Kings to a, uh, a like an underdog uh, sports story. I could
0: okay. totally okay. see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm having yeah. flashbacks to my childhood watching Airbud yeah. now, now that I think of <laughs> it. <Yeah. laughs> no, I, um, I like that. Yeah, I have to say though, I'm getting like I, I was I found it a little I don't want to say boring because I don't really think anything that Brandon writes is boring, but I was a little less than impressed with the fact that once again we have another mystery to start off the book with. And like for for example, in the Way of Kings, in the first part of the book it, it was uh, the cut strap. Who cut the strap? Who's trying to kill Elokar? In the second book, it was the numbers on the wall. Who's scribbling the numbers on the wall? What's happening there? In the third book now, we have this. Who's committing the murders? What's going on? Why are they all looking the same? You know, Why are they mirroring deaths that are already happening? So I, I, I found it a, a tad predictable, and so it kind of took me a little bit out of it. I mean objectively it's still a great mystery and it's written very very well and i would love to have seen this written on its own somewhere it would be perfect but the fact that i was already expecting there to be some mystery to keep us entertained while brandon starts building things in the background and then we got that mystery right out of the gate i was like i was like oh okay i just i i I was ready for it and i saw it and it just ever so slightly took me back
2: i mean you're you're right that is a a staple of a Stormlight Archive novel. <laughs> yeah.
0: Except in, I suppose how this one differs, I know exactly why you guys are laughing and we're going to talk about this afterwards. But I will say it is slightly different this time around in Oathbringer in that that mystery is wrapped up in out? that same part.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, you... Raffo, everybody. Oh, man. Uh... So... Yes. It's the end of my style discussion. Okay,
0: okay. Uh, Who do we want to start with, with with character in this Believe it or not, this week, I started my points with Shallan. Hmm. Normally, I start with Kaladin. I mean, I think that... I think that... uh, That works. That makes sense. Yeah, She's she's the most exciting character for me in this first part of book three. She's, She's the character that I enjoy most for this sequence. I'm... Pardon me, this is a bit of a beer burp there. I'm not a huge fan of this whole Shalon slash Vale carousing in the Urithiru taverns, even though... I mean, I'll fully admit, I did my own public drinking back in the day. <laughs> I just feel like Vale is trying too hard here to be everything Shalon is not. It feels a little heavy-handed. If you're going to be the exact opposite of someone else... But point for point in such detail, to me, you're not really that distinct of a personality. you're just an inversion of the first one, which I imagine, okay, it's exactly the point of veil. Vale. It's probably why Shalon created her in the first place. Um, but I find that she's written veil, vale, like like particularly with her interactions at like limited as they are back and forth with Shalon, she's kind of still, you know, brought she's pro- introduced as a distinct person by now. And I find it hard to believe that she's simply just a point for point inversion of Shalon I feel like we'd be seeing more bleed through of personality between the two if they were simply just inverted copies of one another. I I don't know like Vale <coughs> I like Vale, but Vale and Shalon in their interaction, I just I don't know. I, I I I this first part of the book just with her carousing in the in the taverns took me as a little odd, but I did like it for entirely different reasons later, you know. So.
3: Yeah. Uh,
2: I mean, I I think it makes a lot of sense. I will say that. I think it makes a lot of sense. Hmm.
1: Uh, I okay. I don't... Um, vale doesn't really bother me. I I, I think... Um, I felt like she was developed pretty naturally over the course of Words of Radiance, and then it just... To me, it felt like she a was. natural progression. Um, yeah. I was actually bothered more by Radiant, because she just kind of seems to come out of nowhere all of a sudden. Sure. Um, and then... She, and then uh, she's just sort of there, and I, I, I guess I, I wish there was more development of Radiant in part one.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, Radiant doesn't feel like she ha- uh, like has much identity in this one. Like, yeah, there's the like the pseudo yasna ish vibe to her, but she doesn't do enough in in this part. And and Vale and Shallan are both very active, whereas Radiant just seems to like pop up. We we get kind of hearsay that she's doing more than she is, you know, it's like, oh but we only see the one scene when she's practicing with, with Adeline and she creates Radiant for that. And then we hear, Oh, yeah, we've been doing more practicing and things and, and other situations where Radiant can take over but we don't see them. And so mm radiant is built in a lot of telling versus showing
0: yeah yeah mm. I, I think you were absolutely right josh when you said that veil vale, at least in in words of radiance we had almost an entire book to watch her develop it did feel organic in a way it didn't feel uh abrupt it didn't feel forced with 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 Ra- you know if i may be permitted to use an analogy with veil vale, it feels like an entire costume change but with Radiant, it just feels like slapping a mask on. It doesn't quite feel complete. It doesn't feel distinct enough in the way that Veil vale does. Even though I have my own problems with Veil, vale. um, yeah, I can I can see what you're saying. Yeah, and and I will say I understand why
2: this dynamic, this multiple personality dynamic with Shalon, bothers a lot of readers. I personally don't have much of an issue with it. I I think it's a, a unique uh kind of character conflict that brandon is dealing with i certainly haven't read another epic fantasy novel or series that deals with something like this uh at least not to this extent and 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 that makes it interesting and compelling for me but i can understand why people would get exasperated with shalon as a character
0: yeah. Oh, just wait for a future episode that we're gonna have. I'm not gonna <laughs> say which one it is because it's gonna be a spoiler. But, oh boy. <laughs> anyway, with with Shalon though, and and let's take okay, Shalon and we're still on Shalon and Vale. I'll say her humor, her being Vale. I think it's kind of on point. I I don't I'm not particularly thrilled with Shalon's you know n- you know consistent need to say the first joke or the first uh, quip that comes to her mind at all times with Vale though. I mean it, not even just Vale herself but those around her the company she finds herself in I found myself shocked at a particularly crude line that one of the men in the tavern tries out on Vale the, and I was even I fingers? mean I was equally shocked at how casually she handles it you know the yeah yeah <laughs> the fingers Brandon is clearly experimenting with a little bit more edge I think to certain characters and I think he handles it well um, it doesn't feel as awkward as I would have thought if you told me this was going to be a Sanderson joke 10 years ago. I would have been like, oh, my God. what? Ha- no. But <laughs> you know what? It fits. It actually works. I do yes. like that. It's still very subtle. It's still the, the, the innuendo is still where, every, where everything is focused. You know, it's not blatant. It's not obnoxious. So I, I felt like he handled it naturally. It felt okay
2: yeah I, I agree Ben I am right on the same page with you. I think you know because you can never fully dissociate the author from the text however however much you may be a, a Jacques Derrida fan uh, Brandon Sanderson is is a Mormon and yep. there are sensibilities that come with that in uh, in his books. But like you said, he is pushing the envelope a little bit and does it surprisingly well I I the the thing with veil vale that stood out to me this time uh, was the drinking um, yeah some of it was not Cheers. not quite you know not not quite to my experience but the some of the descriptions you know things like when she she, knocks back the the horn eater white and has to try not to throw up i'm like look i've i oh i've had experiences where i took a shot and immediately was like oh boy you know <laughs> and you, you know your mouth starts watering and you're like uh-oh yep uh,
0: I hey yeah. i had a moment like that on the inking out loud podcast <laughs> guess what everybody behind oh. the scenes look <laughs> yeah. you cut that out of a particular episode Didn't i remember from, that one you I remember believe, that one you know?
2: i couldn't believe you were doing whiskey for that Um, but (laughs) that was
0: a different one.
2: (laughs) Uh, but, but, and then, and then the description of, you know, the spinning. So I, I have a a particular inner ear disease called Meniere's disease. And one of the side effects of that is I get vertigo and man, it, it sucks. Like if, if you've ever had so much to drink that you have the spins, think like that just for no reason at all. You could be yep. going around having a normal freaking day and then suddenly your your eyes are wandering and, and the world is spinning around you and you're you're nauseous. It's terrible. And he does a pretty good job of describing like that kind of the spins that she experiences before she inadvertently, you know, sucks in mm. some stormlight and, and burns <laughs> off the, the alcohol uh and, and so that that rung very true, and knowing Brandon and the way he approaches writing things that he doesn't know he he got somebody who who's definitely had had his alcohol <laughs> to uh to to help him out with that
0: <laughs> yeah no you' ever been so drunk that you've lied in your front lawn and you held on to the grass because you don't <laughs> want to fall into the sky. Oh, yeah, Oof. I've been there, and I can see that it, like, he, hes clearly done his research. You know, he's definitely asked the right questions, and he approached it in a way that felt authentic. You know, and then while we're still on Shalon and Vale, Chapter 18, Double Vision—it's one of my favorite chapters in the book. As much as I've been bitching about Shalon previously in Vale, <clears throat> in here, she's a badass, and I'm—I'm I'm, I'm pretty sure I've admitted to it in the past. But in case I haven't, here it is. As much as I've been very public about my absolute hatred of another character from a different Sanderson book, it's it's Wayne from Mistborn. I don't think this is spoilers to say, but we'll we'll bleep this out in case this is considered a spoiler. I have to admit that even though I hate Wayne, he and I have one thing in common. One thing. We like tough women. And the way Shallan slash Vale comports herself here is... Kind of exactly that. Her casual drinking, this intimidation of everybody around her. The way she literally stabs yeah. her own hand to get into the other guy's hand. I think <laughs> it was a hornier there at the table in yep. the tavern. I was very impressed with that. I mean, I was very distinctly thinking, holy crap, Shallan, hold up. But at the same time, part of me was going, be still, my heart. That, that <laughs> Just total approval. As morbid as it sounds, I actually really, really like Vale in that way.
1: You know, the knife is fun hot. every time.
0: <laughs> it, oh man, we're dreading such dangerous territory. Like it's—I don't want to like. She's hot. I'm sorry. I'll just—I'll just say it. I'll just say it. <laughs> just say it. Um, pattern. I want to talk about pattern. You know, my—I don't want to say my favorite. I think my favorite's actually Windle of all the Spren that we know. But Pattern is still a very close second, and he's on full display here. His complete inability to grasp social faux pas, and how awkward he makes everything between Shalon and Adolin. It's like socially speaking. Mm, brilliant. I can't explain why I like it. This is normally the kind of humor of Brandon's that I'm just, eh, alright, you do you. I'm not a huge fan, but I won't complain. But with Pattern, the, that this, this, this spren always manages to crack me up. He's so distinct, he's so curious, and he's so innocent. I just love him. So, I love. I love pattern. So, Josh,
2: on past <laughs> episodes, Rob and I have been quite vocal in our opinions on Brandon Sanderson's general approach to uh, humor. Uh, to humor, how
1: do you feel about it? Uh, I'm a mixed bag. I'm probably somewhere between the two of you. Um, okay. I um, there, <laughs> I don't mind it. Um, I enjoyed No Mating. That's, that's what we're, that's kind of the peak of it right here. That's Um, what we're going with this, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I enjoyed no mating, I think, um, from what I recall. Uh, It's hard to separate it from the meme now. There's certain things that are just like hard to, the stick is the same way for me now that it's like, I can't like detach. Um, Right. But anyways, um, there, there are some times when Brandon puts in. The humor goes too hard for me, and it, I feel like it just sort of ruins like the gravity of of things. Um, mm-hmm. Lopin is probably the number one culprit. Oh, I was going to ask you about Lopin. Lopin is you. probably the number one culprit of that for me. Um, Lifts does yeah. it a little bit, but she got she got she gets better for me. Um, anyways, yeah, that's that's yep, Okay, all. so I, I think um, you actually are pretty much On mine, and- I do not mind Shalon's humor though. Um, I'm maybe like kind of weird. Clips? in in that sense the pathological
0: I, need to quip in every other sentence yeah
1: i don't i she amuses me like it's I, yeah. um it's fair i don't know, i, I, I could like i can like i'm not i don't know some people think she's not witty i feel like like i can't like think of like witty think like things to like clever quips to say like even that are like that like low level cl- clever like i just i can't do that and so i'm like amused that she like comes up with stuff mm-hmm. um the the scene the same chapter is at 18 No, i'm not certain Not 18 it's the, the scene with with adolin um i love oh. Shalon's humor in those chapters when he comes and like knocks on the door and yeah. um, yep. it's kind of like the sitcom moment i guess but um yeah i don't know she very <laughs> much she um i don't know her, her humor there for me is is super on point i really love the humor i can agree with chapter. that actually
2: yep yeah yeah so uh, like you i like no mating I I got a crack out of it, and and I admit I got a crack out of the divide by zero thing as well. The first time, oh I read my this god, bit. I forgot about that. Um, the meme that's brilliant. Yeah, eh. you know, most of the oh. memed humor bits, I I didn't find funny to begin with. Like I thought the the stick thing is just oh my god, so dumb. <laughs> but but the no mating. The initial instance of it, I didn't find that funny. But then when they, they, like, obliquely mentioned children later, and Patterns just randomly oh, yeah. on the wall, he's was was like, good. no mating! You know, like, yeah. that made me laugh. <laughs> Things like that. Although, the thing that made me laugh the hardest in this section, by far, was Kaladin after talking with the Ardent. Oh. And, yeah. and he's like trying to picture or trying to not picture being in bed with her and Syl's, like sitting on the headboard like rooting him on
0: <laughs> shouting encouragement i think yeah. was the terminology there. i
2: i laughed so hard at that the first time i read oathbringer and and reading it again this time i was like yeah no that's still really funny
0: <laughs> yeah now we we like drew said we've spent a few episodes now you know griping on occasion about sanderson's humor we think he's he's a Amazing author, but some not everything he does lands with us, and a lot of the times it's usually with humor. But for *Oathbringer*, in every single thing that we've talked about today, I loved, I absolutely loved. I'm a, in terms of going back to Shalon's particular humor with her quips, her constant need to quip on every other sentence. I'm a little bit on on Yasna's train when she at one point blatantly tells Shalon, "Look, your ideas are funny or or clever at least. You have." Great ideas, and you are sharp, but you don't need to consistently say the first thing that comes to your mind every single time you think of it. The right quip is far better... The one that you wait for is far more effective than the expected one. And I'm to- I am absolutely agree with that. But again, with these scenes in Oathbringer, with Shalon with and Adolin, with Shalon and-, and Pattern, I actually loved them. And again, with, with Kaladin and, and Sill, I did really, really like that one. I laughed out loud. I remember where I was. I was in the break room at the welding job, and I read that one on my phone, and I laughed out loud. I got a few weird looks like, what is this guy laughing at when he's reading his phone? Um, but... I completely forgot, and this might be why it's evident that I didn't do a true reread of Oathbringer Part 1 for today, I'm mostly going off by memory here, I totally forgot about the dividing by zero thing, I think that one has to be my favorite joke in all of the Stormlight Archives so far, so far? So far. Div- like, something inappropriate, and the, the cryptic has no idea the abs- what she's trying to get at. The only thing he could think of is numbers. He's, like, div- dividing by zero? I just... Mm, I must have cried laughing the first time I read that. It was such a clever joke, just for how how character-appropriate it was. I absolutely loved that one. Yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, do we have any more notes on Shalon?
0: Uh, let's see here uh, well, was starling like mystery boom Risha fear yeah no that's everything I have for Shallan.
1: okay um, I guess I'd have to I'd have to say something about Risha fear I, I really like that scene I think that's like the scene confronting Risha fears I think my favorite in the part um, I guess She's I don't know, so I don't cool. know what I would have to say about it exactly other than I, I love how I guess deep of a dive it is into like her personally it kind of strips away we kind of go into like this kind of spiritual realm mode, I guess, where they're kind of mm-hmm. connecting with each other and it just gets really honest um, with her trying to confront um, I don't know, all this baggage that she keeps trying to ignore. And she's kind of having to, at least for that, for that brief moment, she kind of has to confront and deal with it. And then she digs, you know, buries down even, even deeper, I think. But um, yeah. I don't know. It was just a really raw moment that I really enjoyed.
2: Yeah. And, That's a good way to put it. And, and this, this maybe goes back to, you know, a little more of a writing style thing that sequence is one of those just classic Brandon Sanderson, really vividly painted. You know, it's so easy to see in your mind the midnight essence, you know, attacking them and and this pulsing dark mass around the pillar and, and, and her taking off her hand and, and sinking into this, you know, this unmade, very, very vivid, very uh, cinematic moment. Um and you know, I, I actually forgot I had one more point on writing style uh oh in, in a shallow moment. Uh I've I've brought this up on previous episodes, how one thing that's very much a style choice on Brandon Sanderson's part is he doesn't like using ER um uh for like qualifiers. Like he would he okay. would rather say more simple than simpler. You know, things like that. I I I called it out in Elantris, I called it out in Mistborn, you know, things like that that it, it it really jars me it out of the story when I encounter one. And I thought it was really funny that in this, when she's uh drinking the horny to white, he actually goes the other way. He does an ER word, and it's one of those rare instances when I would have preferred the more blank and it's she says though it was even fouler tasting than the vedin saff <laughs> that is so awkward to me and i think that would have been a great opportunity for him to flex his style muscles and say though it was even more foul tasting
0: <laughs> was there a, is there a dash in there i don't remember there is yet. a dash okay so okay.
2: yeah it, it it struck me as just amusing that i i have been harping on this for (laughs) books and then the one time he does what i would normally like is a time when i think it's awkward
0: (laughs) almost feels vindictive doesn't it
2: i love it i love it (laughs) so um but yeah that that's my last uh my last little note in a in a shalon point of view
0: sweet sweet yeah, I, I just oh, you know, if I'm going to say one more thing about Shalon, I love the fact that she was able to deal with Rishafir. I if you would have asked me going into this book, just rob, just, just just for sake of argument. One Radiant versus one of the Unmade. How do you figure that fight goes? i would be like, <laughs> rest in peace Radiant. I like I didn't think that somebody any single person would have the context or the tools or or even the soul necessary or experiences necessary to actually combat or, or or lock away, or, or at least confront one of the unmade. But I like how they are all clearly, the, they being the unmade, are all clearly being set up so different, so unique from one another, mm-hmm. that the fact that Shallan by her, well not by herself, she had Bridge Four with her and the guards, but the fact that she was single-handedly able to confront Risha Fear and actually win, I loved that. I love what that implies, and I love what it means for Shallan's character. And so at the end of this part, I was definitely cheering for Shallan. Liked her a lot, so yeah. All right, Kaladin. Kaladin, let's do it. Kaladin's storm blast. <laughs> I was I was pretty pumped at the end of Words of Radiance, you know, for Kaladin's triumphant return home to Hearthstone. But man, I gotta say, I was a little dis- disappointed with how he handled it. I was completely expecting him to actually be pitiful without his stormlight, <clears throat> and, and that we definitely got a little bit of mostly as he's approaching the town. But I sort of expected him to hide his Radiant Hood, even though I didn't want him to. And with the return of the next High Storm, I figured he's going to suddenly burst a light in a a moment of peril, and it's going to be super badass. I figured that was going to be epic. For some reason, though, he just walks up and starts giving orders. I mean, I I get that it's a bit of a twist in, in, in the situation, and it's a great way to show off Kaladin's growth and his experience and how it's changed him as a person, but it Honestly, to me, it kind of struck me as a little awkward. He's giving orders, and they're just looking at him. At first, at least. They're just looking at him. And he's completely taking over the situation in in way too casual of a way. His conversation with uh, with Liren, with his father, as the one guard is trying to tackle him, and he's just sidestepping and continuing the conversation. I don't don't know. I kind of cringed in that moment, and I have ever since. It just feels a tad too gratuitous. Maybe a bit fan service y, not really realistic at all. The punch to Roshone's face, however, that had me applauding. I honestly don't think Kaladin should have felt bad for that, considering what Rochon has done in the past. So you know? I have thoughts anyway, on go this. Ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Go uh, ahead.
2: I, I do think it's fan service y. I do not think Thank it's you. unrealistic. I think what this is is anybody who's ever been bullied. This is exactly what they wanted to do to their bullies. Yes, is show That's them have the bullies be overconfident and think I'm in control here. I've got you where I want you, and then, bam, you're just like, nope. I'm better than you. I'm stronger than you. I'm faster than you. You are nothing to me. That is the the desire. It's and and. Uh, he pulls it off here. I mean, there, there are such great moments when he just punches Rochon, when he summons Syl, you know, and... Yep, yep. I'll
0: agree with those two. Yeah,
2: it's... And and what you were talking about, you know, with the guard, like, trying to attack him and he just keeps, like, dodging and, like, shoves the dude. That's the one know, I like, can't stand. That, to me, that is... Um, that's another level of that, like, that, inner desire as someone who's bullied is, is to be able to just, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like inconsequentially brush it off where it's so far beneath you. You can ignore it and just move on and nothing they try to do to you will have any effect.
0: Yeah. That for me was the line when that's the line that was, that, that was a step taken past the line where it was like crossed from, what I wanted, what I thought was believable, into okay, come on now. He's literally standing still and carrying on a conversation with his father while a guard is attacking him. It, do it you, did. I do it, you, do that you, was just ten percent too much for me. Do you watch anime? Because that that seems. I have straight well, out well, I mean, of an no. Anime. I can't say I watch too much anime. I've watched dra- all of the Dragon Ball. Oh yeah, well then that's
2: that's, that's a scene straight out of Dragon Ball Z when one guy's power level is yeah, just but these so are Dragon hard, Ball Z characters and, and he's like. Yeah, but that's almost literally what the Knights Radiant are, man. They're <laughs> like,
0: not millions of times stronger or billions of times stronger than the Rohirkins, the the regular populace. They're just like you know, no, but it's, figures it's that a it's a similar
2: thing. They have you know, they're they're enhanced and and uh, but but so it, it but is, magnitude has to be you know obviously for. obviously this is fan service, but. But yeah, that that's exactly what that was. That was, you know, like Vegeta talking to Goku while some peon is trying to punch him from behind and he's just like blocking everything. You know? Yeah, but
0: <laughs> the, the scale is not the same. Sorry, I'm, yeah, you get I, what I'm trying to say. The scale is not the
1: same. I read it at... I think Kaladin has a flair for the dramatic... Uh, There's a lot of times throughout the books where, like, he does something that's, like, unnecessarily dramatic, and it's it's fan service on one end, but at the same end, I I think it's consistent with his character that he, like, sometimes Kaladin just likes to, like, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it would look cool
0: on screen. It definitely, would. Oh, yeah. it absolutely would. I just, I don't know. To me, it just felt a little unrealistic. I mean, they're in. A, if this was on the field somewhere and he could just lash the guy, you know, twenty feet back or something like that, or make him float in air so that he's just punching and he can't move, I can see that. But they're in a confined hallway. And this guy weighs presumably just as much or more than Kaladin. How much room is there to constantly be dancing around this guy while he's trying to carry on a conversation with somebody who's in the room next to him or in front of him? It just, logistically speaking, when I'm planting that in my mind, it doesn't seem to work. But, I mean, a lot of people love this scene. It could just be me, you know? I will fully admit that this could just be a problem with me. It's mm, the same thing off.
1: as the end of Words of Radiance when uh, when uh, Zeth lashes down or to the sky and then Kaladin like slowly lowers him down like gives him enough yeah. time to land and then he comes like flying down like a meteor yeah, and yeah, light I mean, explodes he and he's like I there. claim your life like that's like such a like over the top like on one hand it's Brandon doing fan service on the other hand it's like uh, to me that's just like that's how Kaladin is like he just yeah. likes to be unnecessarily dramatic <laughs> sometimes
0: I can't or get out of sure. my think, head the, the yeah. picture of him just. Uh, uh lashing that guard halfway upwards and just watching him struggle while he's floating in zero g that would have been way funnier
1: i think well, well he but didn't anyway. have Stormlight to do that but he he had to hang <laughs> okay, on to yeah he had to hang on to the uh to his reveal that he was a yeah,
0: a yeah. Canadian, but yeah. like everything and i still want to talk about this return to hearthstone sequence it feels a little forced and again, again awkward for me as as a whole i don't buy and, and this is where i people may start to dis if you haven't disagreed with me already, you may disagree with me on here on this point. I I don't buy for a second that one of his first thoughts upon returning wouldn't be about Laurel. I sure he was worried about his family. I get that the scope of his life has dramatically changed, and I find it I find it to be an incredible stretch to believe that the girl who <clears throat> for all intents and purposes was his first romantic interest ever, who would have influenced and shaped him at such a vulnerable time in his life would just totally have been forgotten. Especially when the guards start ref- Especially like the guards when are referring to his, the manor's lady.
2: Especially when his greatest dream as a young man was to win shards and become a light eye so he could be with her. And then he literally went and did that. Like yeah. <laughs> of course yeah, the he would be are- thinking like Whoa, what is going to happen if I show up back in Hearthstone and I have a shard?
0: Yeah, and they start referring to the manor's lady, and Mm -hmm. Kaladin still doesn't put it together. I was pulling my hair out, well, pulling my lack of hair out. I just shaved my head again a week ago. (laughs) But when Laryl arrives on scene, and he's suddenly so surprised to see her, he's shocked to find her there. I'm just going, no... No, 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 no. Not to say it would have been healthy for him to be dwelling on her years and years later. But the notion that he would just completely forget this girl existed, it's just downright impossible for me to buy. Yeah, I'm with and you. And so it kind of ruins a bit of the sequence for me.
1: I actually disagree. I don't know. I, I think uh, it, the, Laurel is in his second flashback. He's like only, I don't know, 10 years old. So it's a young. It's a formative time in his life. But I mean, I don't know. She... I think he's like got married. Or like I don't know. He spent several years in Hearthstone with her, like completely in a separate world. She's dating Riller. She gets married to uh, Roshone. Like it's I don't know. He spends a long time with her, being like totally out of his world. And then right. he goes off to war. He loses Tien. He finds love with Tara. Like he has this whole. What's the, the name of the chapter? Is four lifetimes? Like he's lived like um, I don't know. He's he's yeah. he's yeah. been through a lot. I, I don't know. So, I guess I yeah. I, didn't I surprise guess it's a
0: formative but... time. It's the time in his life when she was involved. And so how formative it was for him going forward, you know? Yeah,
2: like, when I think about when I was 10, 11, 12 years old, the girl I had a crush on then, it was in a very specific situation. It was in a very specific circumstance that I left behind very quickly, you know, when I was like 13, 14. But occasionally I find myself back in that environment. And every time I go back to it, even though I'm 30 and married... I still think, like, oh, yeah, remember that girl? Like,
0: yeah. I didn't want to generalize, but I I, I actually had a point to draw about here saying, listen, every young man remembers that first girl. (laughs) Every single one does. But I ended up removing that line because I was like, you know what? I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush. I don't want to generalize here. I'm sure I'll get a few comments saying, well, but it does strengthen me to hear you say that because I also remember that girl. I remember exactly who she was. I remember her name. I remember her birthday. All right? I just, like... This when when you're that young, you're at that age, and you are like you are still clay. You can be formed by such minor things, mm-hmm. right? Minor things, relatively, because to you back then they are huge things. So I just I don't know. Yeah, to me it read a little unrealistic, but I mean,
2: I uh, I will say this about Laurel. I'm a big fan. What? Yeah, in, I like, like it too. In in this, yeah, like she's. That's a thumbs up from Jared. Oh, I hate her.
1: Oh, I hate her. She's
2: <laughs> she's she's uh. Oh. She's pretty sexy.
0: What? Okay, listen. This, this is probably the single character I most want to see miserable what? besides Moash. What? Okay?
1: what? To, <laughs> to see
0: her treat... First off, to see her treat Kaladin like she did when they were kids. I mean, okay. Yeah, she's young and he's young. All right. But that's just one piece of the puzzle that I'm going to construct here for you. The way that upon his Kaladin's return, his triumphant return, if you want to call it that... To then insult Tien's death as if it were somehow equal to Roshone getting exactly what he deserves and pushing it on Kaladin's father. Oh my god, I was in. I was so indignant on Kaladin's behalf. And I hate that he doesn't challenge her on it. When he's like, look he sent my brother, he conscripted my little baby brother to war and got him killed. And she's like, well yeah, but your father was disparaging my father, or my husband against the whole town and making the whole town distrust him. As if that's even remotely on the same scale! It pissed me off when I got that. I was like, why would you not... Ca-? But yeah. then Calden, of course, he has his moment of maturity, his moment of clarity. He's like, you know what? I'm just not going to challenge her on it. It's not worth it. It's just not worth it. But... It's moments like this that make me go to hell with this Kaladin sequence. I'm I'm probably just gonna skip it going forward. <laughs> it pisses me off too much. Miss me with that Wow, wow.
3: You know?
2: So how do you feel Sorry. about Kaladin with the Parshendi? Because I I don't care I, for it. like yeah, I'm super bored in those chapters. I will say. I don't that. care for it at this all. is my least favorite part of Oathbringer. Um like the, the encounter with the fused at the end is is neat. And and the um the storm wall wall. Uh, that he makes, um,
3: that's neat.
2: <laughs> but his his brief scenes with the group of of singers, um, eh? I, I I just and part of it is because ultimately it feels so meaningless. Like it's it's like bringing up the topic of moral relativism, which I find tiresome, and and in the narrative this has no resolution for him. Like it's, it's just a frustrating sequence. And, and I I don't know. I I liked the Hearthstone stuff way more than I liked his chapters
0: with the singers. I'll say something that may be pretty unpopular, but I don't care for the Parshendi at all. I mean, I don't want them to die as a people. They don't deserve that, but I've never been invested in a, invested in a Parshendi character. Never. I don't care about them. They just don't, I don't know. I mean, we I,
2: haven't gotten there yet, but there mm-hmm. there are a couple that I I'm interested in.
0: But go ahead. What's up, Doc? Uh, yeah,
1: no, I um I I do enjoy that his sequence. Um, it's less I enjoy it less for the Kaladin moments uh, because there's not a whole lot there from him. Other, I mean, it's just Kaladin being Kaladin. Right? He just gets stuck with some singers, and then it's he like just sort of bees himself and um, helps them out the way he helps out whoever else he would i i I enjoy them for what it shows about the singers i guess because it was i don't know i it's it's hard for me to separate it from the first time i read it when they were such a mystery we had no idea what the everstorm was going to do to them and um and that's what you get here is you you at least get to start to sort of uncover what that what that meant um and so Mm. I, i enjoy that i i do and i do enjoy I don't know the, the question that gets raised. I think it was important that Brandon raised the question of like who are these people? Um, that they are people and they're not just monsters. Um, I, I it would be a very difficult story to read to me if the Void bringers show up and oh look they're the Void bringers and they're just right. I don't know people that got filled with evil Sprint and now they're yeah, evil. Yeah, like a faceless and, enemy. Yeah. Um. So I I I was thought it was important that. That Kaladin discovers that and is able to take that back, and um, I, I like how it comes back into his story later in the in the book. But that's a time for part three.
0: Yeah, and, and I see. I I like Relane for that exact reason. I think Relane's awesome. Mm-hmm. Sorry, go ahead, Drew. I just wanted I to know, say I, that before I forgot. That is a valid point, point. Um,
2: and maybe I'm not giving those chapters enough credit for how it sets up the um, the discussions and themes around like colonialism and and. Uh, criticisms brandon makes in um like racial dynamics in this series which is a you know a big a big theme um but but i just i i can't find myself invested in these chapters specifically i guess
0: yeah it just to me it kind of it's tasteless a little bit it's a like tasteless filler to me a little bit now I again i <laughs> do exactly i do agree exactly with what josh just said in that it does obviously serve the purpose of giving us more context for the parshendi mm-hmm. i do like that it does that i just and i can't quite pinpoint what it is that makes me not care at all about the parshendi like okay it's. I, I do want them to succeed. I do hate that they were that they were broken for so long, and I do want them to be happy. But I don't really relate to them at all. I don't have a reason to cheer for them yet. And the, the only reason I do have to cheer for them is with relayne and I really really like Relane, but. You know, I, I just I, I am a little I'm just a tad bit bored with this Kaladin sequence while he's specifically with the Parshendi until we get that epic final moment where he forms the windbreak out of Windspren in the storm immediately after that. I was like, OK, so I, I can kind of I dig Kaladin's journey, if you want to call it that, for part one here. But again, with the Parshendi, I'm just I'm not too invested in them and I can't I don't know why. I don't know why. OK, uh, do we have anything more on Kaladin?
1: Oh, let me, uh, uh, let me Sorry, go ahead. elaborate on that a little bit more, I guess. I, Cause I actually, um, somebody posted something about this, a line of, on Reddit several weeks ago, um, from the end of Kaladin's line here. And it, it, it kind of played into a lot of current events in America. And I guess it kind of was framing in some things, I guess some thoughts I had that it's, this is yeah. in when they're in Revelar. So this last, um,
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, chapter in, um, in part one, for Kaladin. And he um, he has this discussion with Syl where he's he, mentions, he says, I can't help but feel a kinship with them. And she says, they conquered the city. They're void bringers. And he, he kind of goes off on this thing and says, uh, they're people. They're angry with good reason. Um, and um, oh, where's this line here? Um, he says... Um, Sometimes a, a world of rational explanations can become meaningless in the face of all that consuming desire, uh, that all-consuming desire to get what you deserve. And um, I actually saw somebody kind of, I don't know, arguing almost the opposite about this this line, that that, that they're kind of like, that the, the, the singers feel like entitled to, it was kind of this whole thing. But uh, it really kind of reframed, I guess, the, the situation with, with this line getting into uh, Kaladin trying to empathize. He, he's got this experience of being a slave. He's been mistreated, not to the extent that they have been, um, but he's tr- kind of trying to empathize with them. And I, I think it's interesting that, like, I don't know, we're sitting here and we're, I don't, I don't know if it's because we're humans or because we're like we're like, a, like all the protagonists so that we know are like humans and so like they're the good guys. Um, and it's it's you, we don't sit here and see the singers attacking and say like, oh, like this is fine, like let them just walk all over. You know, we want the good guys to have their their land back. But at the same time, like, what is the right solution? Like, what are we supposed to do with this? And I love that Oathbringer is getting into these issues of this like tremendous injustice was done to this entire race of people. And all of a sudden we've, the tables have turned and I, am curious to see what is Brandon going to do with it? Because like, there's no good answer. Like there's no clean way to deal with any of this that's going to happen. And uh, I, I guess I, I'm excited that brandon is like willing to go into that i have no clue where it's going to land um but I, I don't know i love that the the kaladin's getting to to, to see this and kind of experience that to really point out how challenging this issue is that he doesn't know what what the right solution is that he knows how they feel and um i don't know, I, I i just love that brandon's getting into that with, this, with the story yeah, here I,
0: I, just like you i love the fact that he's willing to dabble i respect the fact that he leaves it open to interpretation And I'm kind of interested to see where it goes, just like you are. So,
2: that is a good point. Um, And these are topics, you know, I admit we have mostly stayed away from on Inking Out Loud, but it's really tough to stay away from it in Oathbringer specifically, because this is such a central theme to this book. How, because all of our protagonists are humans, and have been in one way or another part of systemic racism uh it's it's easy for us to still root for them as heroes as protagonists because for the most part they're like oh no we recognize that, yeah this is bad you know slavery's not good you know this is this is probably not great um and they're like well i haven't been directly oppressing the singers you know and and so it's easy to still root for them despite them being humans but then you have to grapple with the like Well, yeah, Dalinar wasn't, like, out there specifically enslaving the the Parshmen, but he was sure making use of Parshmen slaves and was just not even thinking about the fact that they're slaves and that they might be sapient beings who've just had their, like, mental faculties magically suppressed. Navani, similarly. You know, like, it's it is one of those instances of almost like a a point of view trap. You know, like like I talked about with at at length with Egwene in the wheel of time and with Matt in the wheel of time where it's really easy to be inside their heads and just accept at face value, the things they say and think. But when you step outside of that point of view and start digesting the greater perspective and realizing, wait a second, these people may have more flaws and, and more problems to them as people than we're willing to admit because we're so steeply... Uh, uh, steeply. So deeply steeped <laughs> uh, in their <laughs> consciousness. And that's one of the beauties of the limited third-person perspective. You know, like, this is... This is a, a tremendous literary technique, but but it's also one that really challenges you as a reader. And it, if you're going to truly grapple with everything the author is doing. You have to be willing to read more critically and
0: read outside of the point of view. Last point about Kaladin, I promise. <laughs> the introduction of Oroden, his little brother, and, and it, the, the page time that it had, for such a touching and character-changing moment as I feel it should have been, from the time that we learned that this boy existed to the time that Kaladin leaves them behind is, what, half a page? A full page, maybe, you know. I was, I was like, whoa, hold on here. Why isn't this th- Why doesn't this have its own entire scene, its own entire chapter? It felt a little anticlimactic for me. I was like, what? Okay, you know. Anyway, how about you guys? Was it? Did it feel a little abrupt?
1: No, not, not unnecessarily so.
0: Okay, yeah. Drew. Why? What's I, I the look? Didn't, I don't know. Maybe this is just
2: another one of those situations where, because I am the youngest in my family, I've never had younger siblings. I was just totally uninterested. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like really? Yeah, I, I was just like, oh, huh. That's that's weird. And then kind of was like, That's... all right, let's get back to the story here. <laughs>
0: you know? Yeah, this is somewhere Drew and I very, yeah. very much differ. I'm the oldest in my family. I have three younger siblings. And I know that feeling of meeting a younger sibling for the first time. I know that intimately. Intimately. And so I was just a little indignant by the fact that it's like, oh, it Cal. Like for all intents and purposes, I mean, yes, he's very clearly emotionally moved by it. And he makes his promise to keep Oriden safe, but the fact that that scene only had a single page—not even a single page of time—I was like, it just—it's like, oh, by the way, boom, 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 heartbreak. Let's move on. And I was like, oh, what? It just felt a little it, unexplored to me, and I, we didn't see. I was like, maybe we'll see him for the rest of the book, but. Yeah, Josh, do you have siblings?
1: <laughs> I do have siblings, and I, and I, I I mean I did feel an emotional weight to that moment. I really loved it, but. Um... Uh, I, don't, I guess I just didn't know what else to expect from it. I didn't really want him to just like sit there and like I don't know play chew toy with his little. little brother. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, I I think I fall more
2: toward Josh's end on, on this opinion. <laughs>
0: cool. All right, uh, Dalinar. Should sure. I wait into this one.
2: Yeah, I okay. I don't have a ton to say about Dalinar. Surprisingly, well, how, how can you not? um and that is mostly because his flashbacks in this part like on a reread i was not interested i was just not interested like really? uh, this is this is a really interesting thing uh, like a phenomenon i've discovered with myself as a reader full on battle scenes don't really do much for me anymore <laughs> There needs to be some sort of really dynamic character movement going on. And I'm not saying that there isn't any character progression with Dalinar's flashbacks. Just that there's not a whole lot. There's usually... Each one of these flashbacks has, like, one pivotal moment for Dalinar. And then, like, 15 pages of battle scenes. And I'm like, there's only so many times I can read about... Oh, he swung his Shardblade and burned out the eyes of 10 guys... Before I'm like, okay, yeah, skim, 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 like, and and part of that is because Brandon, I, there's there's this ineffable like characteristic of Brandon's fight scenes where some of them, as I said earlier, are super vivid to me, cinematic, beautiful, well realized in my head, and others I'm just like, eh. And Dalinar's flashbacks in this part are very much in the eh category for me.
0: Rob's before about jump to yeah, on that. blow a gasket. <laughs> yeah, before I jump on that, I'll give Josh his chance. What's up, dude? No, I,
1: don't, I I um I still enjoy them. I, I I like Dalinar, in part one does not have his story doesn't have a whole lot of cohesion to me. I think he just feels like he's kind of stumbling around. Um, it's it's frustrating. All of his like political endeavors are really frustrating. Yeah. Um. So I do enjoy the the action that his flashbacks bring to add, give his character a little bit of. Uh, movement. Uh, it's, I don't know. It's, it's interesting to see. Um, it's, it's, it's nice to see Dalinar doing something, um, amidst everything else where he just sort of doesn't know what he's doing with the politics. Um, so I, I enjoy them for that. I also enjoy them for the way that it sets up him as the Blackthorn to all these people yes. that he's trying yes. to do the politics with. Um, the action itself, I don't, know, it works for me. I enjoy it. I'm
0: with you on there. Um, You know, for years and years before this book was released, fans, from my understanding, kept hounding Brandon Sanderson with questions about Dalinar's past, about the kind of man he was supposed to have been, and I remember, like everyone else with my similar mindset, finding it kind of hard to believe that mid-twenties Dalinar Colin could have been... As ruthless, as brutal, as downright animalistic as he was reported to be, and I was so skeptical whenever Brandon would assure fans and readers that, yeah, Dal- Dalinar was not a pleasant person. You are not going to like what you see.
1: He's even and younger. I he's actually, be... uh, he's actually only 19 years old, yeah. I think, in this in this chapter. He like, what really? Yeah, yeah. He starts with him as a. Teenager. He's super young.
0: Yeah, I thought he was mid. Well, yeah. then again, on Rosharan years, he might be like twenty one or something. Like that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't well, know. Yeah. But I didn't realize who's that. Quite, I thought he was like twenty five in the first. Yeah. No, damn. Okay, I'll be damned if he wasn't like, if he this time he being Brandon, if Brandon wasn't totally right about that, about us being horrified at the exactly the kind of man that Talinar was at that age. What a character this guy is. It's not a comfortable read. It's gritty. It's dark. It's very surreal to see someone like Dalinar Colin, who we've grown to love, spitting blood into the eyes of his opponents and slaughtering helpless boys on the battlefield who are crying out for their mothers, enjoying that, enjoying the killing and the breaking of wills. It's disturbing. It's so very disturbing. And the contrast, in a morbid way, I find to be gorgeous. Like, in in, in chapter 19... He calmly just, and I quote, strolls out into the storm after after the feast, well, during the feast, to retrieve yeah. the knife he needs to eat pork, you know? And the way he continues to eat with the knife after it goes into someone's body, right? Like, oh my God, I was not ready for this kind of experience either, you know? The fact that we got such a visceral look at the animal that he used to be was, was intimidating, but I found it to be... I mean, revelatory. Obviously, I actually really liked it. I was very, very enthralled with all the Dalinar flashbacks. I'll, I'll
2: say that particular flashback was my favorite of, of the bunch. In part oh, it was one. good. Uh, and there's
0: something in that flashback. I'm pretty sure we both have a point to draw yes, in, uh, the, in our Cosmere discussion. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. Stormstrider. Uh, <laughs> continuing, <laughs> yes, continuing though with Dalinar in, in the present, his marriage to Navani. At the beginning of the book, that really surprised me. I was uh, I was expecting this kind of thing to happen near the end, you know? The audacity of Brandon to place this at the beginning, Dalinar getting married, and the audacity of Dalinar in turn to, to ask the services of the Stormfather himself to ordain their marriage, I found that to be unexpected, I found it to be wonderful, and I loved seeing both Dalinar and Navani get what they want for a change, and nothing ruined it, you know? I really, really like that. Josh. All right.
1: I, um, I'll comment on Navani. I actually, I kind of felt like the wedding happened like too fast for me. Um, A little abrupt. I agree. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know. I, uh, I, this is partly from my carrying over from my wife. I think I, I don't really pay too much attention to romance when I'm reading. I think I just sort of take things as they, as they're given to me. Um, and she's kind of infected me with this, like sense that, like, that Dalinar and Devani's relationship is, is kind of too like, um, it's, it's, uh, n- too much tell and not enough show, um, with how they feel and interact with each other. Yeah, um, and so I okay. guess now as I read that, like, it just kind of feels like the wedding is just sort of, Brandon's just like, well, they're married now. They really love each other. I promise, you know, look at how kinda much like they love each other. And so I, I kind of find myself wishing that it was a little bit more like, uh, of their relationship developed. And then the wedding kind of happened a little bit more slowly, but, um, I,
2: yeah. I don't feel too strongly about it. The whole thing, like ever since she showed up in Way of Kings, the whole thing felt just so inevitable that when they finally got married, I was I was kind of like, oh, finally, now we can let them have their own character arcs, you know? Uh, yeah, okay. It, That's fair. And and that made me you know, that, that made me relieved that it happened so early in this book because I felt mm the The possibilities for each of them as characters opened up a lot more when they didn't have to constantly worry about. Oh, is is Dalinar going to let Navani seduce him? Oh, you know, like, yeah.
1: I'm I'm extremely yeah. thankful that there was not a uh, how and Dalinar and Navani going to um, uh, work around the uh, the the ardents and get married yeah. over the course of the entire book. <laughs> yes, I have. A question, maybe you guys can can help me with. I, it just occurred to me
0: now. So Navani specifically says to Dalimar right before they get married, or right before he at least proposes to her in that stupid, awkward way of like a shrug <laughs> and a raised eyebrow. Uh, she says to him right before that, "Your your stubborn uh, inability, or your your stubborn refusal to get s- seduced, is making me question my feminine wiles." But was there not a point in Words of Radiance when Shallan is talking to Pattern and he tells her that he was spying on Dalinar and Navani and then they got really close and then they made some interesting noises and I will uh, uh, reproduce those if you want. She goes, no, 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 Way too private. What's going on there? I thought, so I, I had assumed they had already, for lack of a better term, bumped uglies. So my impression
2: from that was they weren't having sex. It was just they were like making, making out. out. Yeah. It is kind of amusing I, that these different Spren are like spying on or trying to spy on people having sex, so they can <laughs> learn about humans. They're just like so
0: so confused by the concept. Like yeah. still too. she's I like, "I've been doing
2: research." <laughs> Calvin's like, "Oh, yeah, great!"
0: Yeah. I spied on Sabariel in the bath. I think that was cryptic, and I was like, oh, <laughs> "I think I was patterned." And I was like, "Oh, yeah, God. yeah." <laughs> Not an image I need, but um. Yeah, I'll say again though, there's there's something, this, this is very similar to my point, bitching about Kaladin in the hallway with the guard and how, it, actually, I don't really buy it. There's another part here with Dalinar in his present. Dalinar sparring with the ardent Kadash while also simultaneously having a span read conversation through Navani with Queen Fen thousands of miles away. I mean, it sounds cool. It reads cool. But all it takes is five seconds serious thought to realize it just, just, just doesn't really work. There, this would be the exact kind of thing that would last all of seven seconds before Dalinar would need to repeat the thing he just said because he was cut off mid-breath. Or Navani wouldn't need him to repeat something again because she wasn't able to hear accurately over the, the sound of swords or, or something. It just, to me, it doesn't work in my brain. He like And while he's doing this, while he's carrying on this dialogue with Queen Fen, he's also challenging Kadash on his religion and everything around Dalinar's new position and his stance on Vorinism. I'm just, I'm not really big on this scene. I feel like this could have been done in two scenes, maybe, maybe even three scenes, but they're all crammed into one. And the fact that Dalinar is doing all of this whilst sparring with an ardent, it just seems unrealistic to me.
2: Yeah, that's valid. <laughs>
1: yeah. I've seen Brandon comment that he likes to, when he's doing really kind of dialogue-heavy, uh, info dumpy kind of stuff. A lot of times he likes to kind of take something else that's going on at the same time and kind of mash them together so that there's like a little bit more uh, action yeah. going on, I guess. And that's exactly what's happening there. I, it doesn't bother me too much, but I I, I totally get why. It's I can see you. why he did it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I can see the, the, the utility of it.
0: I just, it I don't he, know. It, to me, it just didn't seem like I, I was, keep trying to put myself in that position and I'm thinking, how would this work? And I can't quite justify it
1: we already did have like you the know. scene of everybody sitting around the span read boards and let's talk to queen Finn. Let's talk to Taravangian, let's talk. Yeah. To, you know, so so he, he probably was trying to avoid and like literally oh, okay. redoing Fair that enough. scene with a, a different group yeah. of people, but yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And just to end my points on Dalinar, I figuratively lost my when Dalinar is suddenly able to hear the name of his wife that I think was a perfect place yeah. at the end of that chapter I think it's the same chapter we're talking about, actually. Mm-hmm. The perfect place to th- thrust that one on us. After all the sparring, after all the de- debating, you're ready for a smooth transition. You're not ready for this. And I love it for that reason. It's so ballsy. Yeah. So ballsy. Yeah,
2: I, I fully agree there. I I really like how the mystery of Dalinar's memories is approached in this book. Uh where you you have had two books to get used to a fact about dalinar and then suddenly that fact is no longer true really Mm -hmm. good really good plotting really good writing yeah
1: um i I love the way that character points go uh, ahead i love the way that it's written there where he just like the he just hears the name all of a sudden and it just kind of skips over it for a sentence or two and you don't and you're kind of like wait wait a
0: second and then he that's, it's great. Yeah. In that moment, the reader is just as lost and confused as Dalinar is. The immersion aspect alone is just perfect. Oh, and, and on a reread,
2: I was like, like, it, it didn't even register to me because I already knew her name. Yeah. You know, and you're just yep. like, oh yeah, of course, Evie. Yeah. You know, and then wait,
0: wait, whoa. Yeah. like really, really <laughs> The well double done. take. What? Really well done. Yeah. yeah. That wraps up all my character discussion points. I have a little bit about about Adolin, but that we we already covered most of it in the uh, the, the dramatic irony yeah. that you were referring to earlier, Drew. And I just I, I had an extra point here about the creep factor and saying that, you know, the entire mystery of the hidden spread and the creep factor of everything that's happening here. Brandon's so good at writing horror. I wrote down I'd love to see the guy actually sit down and when he finds the time to write a proper horror story until our discussion right before the episode when drew brought up shadows for silence in the forest of hell and i went oh yeah how could i forget about that one it's really really good to see him approach that territory he's really good at it yeah so that's it that's everything character wise i have to discuss what about you guys before we go into our cosmere spoiler discussion i'm i'm ready
1: i've got i yeah. got one thing i'll say um let's hear it, josh Uh, I love Shallan's flashback sequence is my favorite so far, I think, but um, Dalinar's is my favorite for the way that it plays into the, the, the main narrative. Um, And that's really is on on display here. I think in part one Um, in particular, I love the juxtaposition of violent Dalinar in the past, um, trying to unite Alethkar with the sword compared to, um, Dalinar now trying to unite everybody with politics and peaceably. And um, it's someone actually, I think in particular points out that um, someone points out that when he wins Oathbringer, that he's like, you know, this is the Sunmaker's sword. And they point out that, you know, that this is the sword that the Sunmaker used to unite Althkar. I think is actually even explicitly mentioned. Um, and I, and I, and that's just juxtaposed with, with um, Dalinar in the current timeline having Oathbringer, and they, they kind of rediscover the blade, and he gives it back to, um, to Ili. And I love I don't know, the symbolism of that, and I love that I don't know, just this picture of again just Dalinar in the past uniting with the sword compared to giving up the sword, doing away with it, trying to get rid of it. and um, I, It continues to play throughout the rest of the, of the book. It's kind of his, his story here, but um, I don't know, I love how that's set up and picked up in part one. I just blew my mind there, Josh. I wasn't even
0: considering that. Yeah, it's... It, I'm going to watch that going forward. Holy crap. It is
2: really good. And, and it's a, a similar thing to what Brandon does in Warbreaker. Um, if, if you've read Warbreaker, go back and check out our Warbreaker episodes. I, I talk about this idea of kind of inversion seven and, and duality and, and how um, certain plot beats are mirrored uh, chapter after chapter or even sometimes scene after scene within a chapter. Uh, he's doing something very similarly clever here, and I am here
0: for it. Yep, sweet. Shall we take off the spoiler gloves? Talk about Cosmere as a whole. Yes, please. All right. So if you're <laughs> if you're listening to this, you haven't read the rest of Sanderson's Cosmere. That being Mistborn era one and two, Warbreaker, Elantris. Uh, everything in Arcanum Unbounded, including Secret History and Edge Dancer. This is a great time to skip forward to the end of the episode and listen to the final draft. Yeah. And so. and,
2: and now, Josh, I know this isn't exactly your favorite
0: thing to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No. that was. I, I, it took me three quarters of that to pick up on the sarcasm. I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> uh,
1: I really don't care okay. the me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I this. Okay, yeah, I'm going to start off... Actually, quick question. Do you guys do... You're not doing rhythm of war preview chapters are you you are, are you trying to avoid i that? figured
0: we'd stay away from those today because i didn't like, know actually josh if you had read those i didn't realize you were a beta before we started so i didn't write down anything that way to talk i'm about. i'm trying to to stay away from rhythm
2: of war
1: I don't know that I I even have anything necessarily particular to say. I just wanted to make sure that I didn't... uh...
2: I actually did. I I I had one point that was going to
0: harken back to one Rhythm of War thing, and I was like, oh, no, I can't say Uh, that. I have
2: multiple things highlighted that I'm like, I'm just going to save this for
0: when we do our Rhythm of War episodes. (laughs) (laughs) Which is next episode, or at least part one for me, because I've only read uh, parts one and two. I haven't even finished part two. Next episode
2: for Rob and me in in the actual chronology, like we're going to finish recording tonight and then record Rhythm of War Part 1 in, like, an hour. Not next that will be released for our listeners. Our Rhythm of War episodes will yeah, come If you're listening to this, the next
0: episode, of course,
2: after Rhythm is of Oathbringer episode.
0: 2. But I just got my advanced reading copy of Rhythm of War, not to brag. And... <laughs> Drew and I are immediately jumping into part one as soon as we finish this episode of Oathbringer part one just to make sure that my impressions are fresh for that one. So, anyway, let's go back to Oathbringer part one. I'm going to gloat for two minutes here about a particular theory that I got right. During the period of Oathbringer preview chapters leading up to its release, I think it was that June of 2017, I spun out a hypothetical on our Cosmere Theories Facebook page. I noticed an odd little detail in chapter three when Dalinar is engaging the crown prince and he gets his nose broken for what I think it was the first time he got his nose broken mm-hmm. in that moment he feels and I quote an emotion that stirred inside of him a fire that filled the pit within it washed through him and awakened him bringing him clarity in that moment my brain immediately went "Ah, oh, I wonder if that emotion could have been hate and right in that moment Dalinar looks up His vision returned as the Bright Lord, who had just retrieved his knife, looked up and started, stumbling back. He seemed horrified. So I rushed to our Facebook page, and on June 17th, 2017, I know that because I looked up this post just now, I proposed that in this moment, Dalinar's eyes were glowing red. And that was why his opponent seemed so frightened right before he died. Fast forward about five months later, we got the book. I got to the part near the end when Tenelon seemingly betrays Dalinar, which I'll have more theories on when we get to that episode. And sure enough, he makes his nightmare walk back to his armies at the rift, and we see it. His eyes glowing red. I think it was chapter 75 when that happened. So, boom! (laughs) Bullseye. Nailed it. There's my gloating.
2: I, I love it when you, you take the time to gloat on your uh, theories because it opens <laughs> the door for right. me to gloat about my theories.
0: <laughs> Go ahead.
2: Oh, well, I, and I'll say I don't have any uh, theories to gloat about this week, but I do have a question. And, and it, it was just something that popped into my mind when uh, Gavilar and, and Dalinar are talking and Gavilar asks, Why are we here fighting? Is it for honor? Is it for a lethkar? And Dalinar just shrugs. And he says, we can't just keep acting like a bunch of thugs. We can't rob every city, blah, 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 blah. So Gavilar starts off as this, as a thug, right? You know, a guy who who decides, you know what, I'm going to be king. And and we're going to do this the hard way. And when he dies, by the time he dies, his goals are very, very different. He's messing with, you know, these these cryptic gems with void light and potential void spread in them. He's he's dealing with heralds. He's involved with the sons of honor. I want to know how he got involved in all of that. How did he go from baseline? Let's make me king to yeah. Cosmere. <laughs> like, <laughs> how the heck did that happen? And and yeah, it's a little odd. And and I can't even say that there's an easy way out for us to find this because yeah, we're we're gonna get Gavilar's point of view in the prologue for book five. We've known that for a while, but we're not gonna get flashbacks from Gavilar in any of the books. At least that's not the current plan. I I want those puzzle pieces filled in. <laughs>
0: Yeah, with I mean, so many people who knew Gavilar have been saying, have been remarking upon how he how his personality changed so much near the like, end.
2: Was it just? And we even get to see. Was it just because sorry, of the visions? But, Obviously, he was getting visions from the Stormfather, but yeah. but that seems that seems so small for yeah. I mean, like, Dalinar knows how yeah, dalinar has been getting visions. the visions, and he didn't get involved with all this insane stuff,
0: and he'd been getting the visions for a while. You know, like could have been his ties or his relationship with Terravangian <laughs> because, you know, Terravangian was involved a little bit, but with, I mean, at one point, oh no, I'm thinking, oh, shit, I'm
2: yeah, thinking that of was Amaran. all after Terravangian right. Teravangian didn't go to the, the Nightwatcher right. till after Gavilar died. I,
0: I was just thinking of Amaram in the cell in Words of Radiance <laughs> with Telenolat saying, We've done it, Gavilar. We've finally done it. Yeah. Right. And the whole thing about the Sons of Honor. And we, st- I mean, oh, damn. I was about to say, you know what? No, I can't say that because that's, nope, never mind. Um, I'll really, <laughs> really quickly, but. All right. All right. Josh, I want your thoughts on yeah. this. Yeah.
1: I, I think one thing I'm looking forward to in this reread is I'm, I want to try and pay a better attention to Gavilar because I think through Dalinar's flashbacks, you can, Brandon's like dropping these like little hints of like his personality that's, changing. That's... I, I don't think it's going to be because like I feel like I tried to pay attention to that the last time and I don't remember it being particularly clear uh, so I'm not expecting to find a, an answer exactly but to this question but I think that it's it's a very gradual thing my my guess is that he started off um, I, I want to unite Alifkar. and then he's kind of his dream got, gets bigger and bigger and bigger I think that he hits a point where um, he, I he just becomes really introspective. and He's trying to like figure out like what's my legacy and try, figure out like who he's trying to be. I, I, it's got to be it's got to be attached to the Sons of Honor. I think that at some point in his search for if, d- discovering who he is and what his his legacy is going to be, he connects with certain people who are Cosmere aware, who are who know things, um, and I think he kind of becomes enlightened on some certain possibilities. And then clearly, he's trying to do something um yeah so
3: i
2: could see i could see potentially you know some some moment in gavilar's life where he has a conversation with rastaris sure and that sets him on
1: a path um i i do wonder how the visions fit into that i don't think that i'm skeptical that the visions started because i don't think the timeline makes enough sense for right he would have had been having to have visions for forever yeah um i it almost and, we, and that almost makes me wonder, like, how did he get the visions in the first... Like, I, this is kind of an interesting question of, like, what was it that made Stormfather give him the visions? Um I, like, it literally just, like, the uniting well, like, thing? I always yeah, thought he might have been a proto-bondsmith
0: before he died, but that doesn't seem to make
2: sense. Yeah, I, I always assumed it was just because he was trying to unite Alefgar that the Stormfather is like, oh, this, this dude's a, a possible candidate. Because we know... He wasn't the only one who was getting visions, because we yep. have a death yep. rattle from some yeah, dude who rattle, was getting exactly. visions. You know,
0: yeah. uh, I don't know, I don't know. It, 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 Gavilar is just such a freaking enigma. He's, I was going to say, he's <laughs> such a freaking enigma, exactly. And I can't wait till we discuss the Rhythm of War prologue, but uh, let's see here. Oh, man. <laughs> so let's let's talk about it now. Uh, well, something that you referred to earlier, Drew, um, the Dalinar flashback, chapter 19, Dalinar steps out from the feast during a high storm to find his knife, he talks to Teleb really quickly and realizes, oh, storm it, you're right, you actually gave it back to me, and he trudges back through the high storm, back into the feast, but there's this one little detail we get that's just a throwaway detail, and I wrote down the quote here, I will quote it now, a large boulder slammed into the wall, then bounced away. Dalinar glanced and saw something luminous in the distance, a gargantuan figure that moved on spindly growing growing glowing legs. Dalinar stepped back up to the feast hall, gave the whatever it was a rude gesture, and pushed open the door, throwing aside two servants who had been holding it closed, and strode back in. What the hell did we just see? Drew? You said something about a so, storm strider?
2: So we saw whatever Kaladin and shallon saw in the chasms during their experience oh you the mean with storm. the
1: glowing
0: light on the plateau above them
2: and leg after leg mm. walking by
1: but no rattling, um, a lot no of people be- misread it and think that it's just like a uh, storm form impression that's what i had but thought form but it didn't say anything about a red yeah. light
0: so i was like what the hell
1: oh. yeah it's one of these
2: uh so so josh what's the what's the current theory from the shardcast crew on on the storm striders
1: uh, the Stormfighters is something I feel like that everybody has, like, that nobody knows what to think about. I, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. My, my personal theory, I think that they are sprint. I think that they're um, sprint in the sense that, like, uh, you know, not like a mundane sprint that people, you know, all have a name for, but, you know, a sprint like um, not even quite to the tier of, uh, oh shoot, Kusikesh? What is it? Kusikesh? Thank you, thank you. Um, you know, obviously, they're not quite like him maybe but you know but there there's something something in the middle there right there's sprint or not like just like this one thing like it's it's Rashar. Yeah. there's some sort of invested entity right. that yeah. exists they they clearly followed through the storm i have no idea what they are beyond yeah that. like i think some, that uh,
2: we know th- so right. go ahead. Uh, well i was gonna say rob in some of our past episodes we've talked about the sheer number of myths and stories and things about yes. the fact that there are things in the storm. Yep. Some people say it's the, the souls of the lost radiance. You know, yep. some people say it's the void bringers. You know. At some point I, I, I mean I think that's what these Storm Striders are. They they are the, the root of all of these myths. I don't think they're like chasm fiends spren or something like that. I, I think it's it's something more Um, Lovecraftian than that.
0: Ooh, ooh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. Uh,
2: More cosmic, uh, inscrutable, twisted, you know, in some sense. Uh, And I almost don't want to know what they are. Okay, I feel that. (laughs) I absolutely feel that sentiment. Because... Mm. uh, in that Lovecraftian sense, it's the unknowable. It's 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 the mystery that keeps it creepy and keeps it fascinating. Yeah. And I really hope Brandon never tells us what these things I've are. I've
0: said it again and again before this. It's not, and I'm quoting Hitchcock on this, it's not what comes out of the closet that scares you to the max. It's what might come out of the closet. I do like the idea of Brandon keeping these completely mysterious. My first thoughts, you know, through uh, Words of Radiance and going into Oathbringer, I thought, oh, okay, Um, they might be creatures with symbiotic relationships with Spren, a lot like the Chasm Fiends. And then when I developed my theory a little bit more about Kusakesh and how the collective conscious of mankind kind of uh, gives birth in, like to to these manifestations from the cognitive realm, I thought, okay, we have we know for a fact that the storm father is a manifestation of mankind's collective memory of the almighty. And this again, we know there are there are myths and legends about creatures or haunted souls in the storms. And I am more on on the train now on on the bandwagon. I should say, of thinking that these creatures are manifestations of mankind's myths about the creatures that haunt the storms. That could just be a cognitive expression. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: so we agree? Spren? I, pseudo-spren? I, I, yeah. yeah, I do love that Dalinar like flips like it just off. totally doesn't care. Yeah,
0: yeah, he like, yeah, just
2: straight up flips it off. This <laughs> is why
0: I, I don't, I'm afraid to say I like past Dalinar. Because he's a monster. He's an animal. He's, he's he's subhuman in a lot of ways. He's masochistic, but at the same time, oh, I shouldn't say he's masochistic, well not quite. He's sadistic. But, what's that? Sadistic. sadistic. He is. There is that too. Yeah. Um. I was gonna talk. Yeah. Uh. About the the sadomasochism of Zeth. Actually, as a different character entirely, and that's going forward, we'll talk about that at a different time. But yeah, you're right. He's absolutely sadistic, in that way. So I, it's hard to it's hard to say you like him. But moments like that do give me a little bit of a gleeful chuckle. You know, he's such yeah. a badass. He doesn't care. He doesn't care at all. He doesn't need to care. Yeah. And it's just something so, not charming, but alluring about that. Yeah. And I have so, no... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I have I have a couple more, um,
2: some, some Cosmere things. Okay, I have up, no more. Or or just theory things. Okay. Uh, a quick one that I've never, like, really thought about before. When Shalon is doing her light weaving of The Girl Who Looked Up. Yep. There's a moment when the girl is climbing the wall and her hair turns white. Thoughts, because that's that's, that's not a throwaway line. I didn't notice that's that a detail. big.
1: A lot of people use that as fuel for the assumption, the guess that it is related to Elantris
0: they said white um, though not silver because,
1: because the elantrians have white hair
0: i thought they had silver hair oh I've they have silver that. skin i keep making that mistake god damn it okay yeah i guess i could see cool. i could see where
2: you would go in that direction because elantris also has the wall with the wall. stairs oh, on yeah. the outside keeping somebody in
0: yep oh i was about to draw it to i, don't, I don't know I don't, really the royal quite buy it, but I don't know why I don't know why except that we know there also has been some social uh, uh, communication between the two different planets as well. See I my no my idea.
2: immediate thought is Hoyd has white hair. Is there something magical? I mean there's clearly there's got to be something magical about Hoyd's white hair. His like Does there? Pure white, not just like old person hair but that he has just pure white hair. And maybe there's some magical, you know, root to that, and there's a, a shared similarity going on here. But, but I have, I mean, that's like as nebulous a thought as you can get.
0: So, yeah, <laughs> uh, you guys both have more uh, to work with on this front than I do. I have no idea. I didn't even notice the detail about the white hair. Yeah,
1: I mean, it, would, it would kind of, it would kind of suggest that the myth, t- it has ties all the way back to Yolan.
0: I would love that if that yeah. were the case. That would sure. be cool. That'd be super cool. Yeah. I like Uh, it, I like it. uh, I guess my last stupid little, this is not a miscellaneous, well, this is not a Cosmere point, this is a little miscellaneous point. I learned a new word, and I always bring this forward when I learn a new word. I've made made a promise to do so, and I didn't even learn it in the text. I learned this word during Drew's recap. Drew, erstwhile. I had no idea what the hell that means. (laughs) What? I looked it up while you were talking, and I was like, oh, former, that's what it means. Okay, I like that. I've never heard that word before. Oh, you... Wow, okay. Nice. <laughs> That's it. That's everything I have, Miscellaneous and Cosmere.
2: Ooh, I, I have a, I have a couple more points, but uh, first, Josh, do you have any you want to bring
0: up?
1: Um, raises AVR. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The bird. The is chicken. It?
2: Yes. The
0: chicken. The, the um, uh... I, I...
2: I Actually, I can't say that.
0: Oh, okay. Okay, <laughs> okay, I see how it is. I, um... All right.
1: I uh, it's interesting to to guess. I think to try and like wonder like which like what type of AVR it is like what power it, he's getting from yeah, it. What is it but, uh, that
0: he's getting out
2: of this? It's hard to. Yeah, yeah, that's I, that's where I was going with it. Um, but I I have another kind of question about it. When when did he get that? It, and if if he had it for a while, why wasn't it in his? little you know trophy room
0: well because it's a it's a mm. creature it needs to hunt it needs to eat it needs to move you can't just try encase this thing in a little trophy
2: but whenever he's inside he seems to have it with him
0: eh, it's I like a parrot know. on his shoulder it's a little more personal yeah, like a yeah so way.
2: why didn't he have it in there I, I don't know
1: my guess would it be that brandon just didn't want to seed it yet but yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm uh, on it's Joshua. an interesting question
2: like like there might have been time for him to yeah. pop over to the Drummondad system. Real oh, quick just quickly
0: and... visit, you know, uh, <laughs> the Drummondad system and, uh, and oh, hey, hey, give me one damn birds, you know. Is Yo, there like up, a uh, yeah?
1: <laughs> what is there like a maybe uh, a bond between the two? Maybe is the Cosmere Postal Service and brought it over? to him. <laughs> well, <laughs> Yeah,
0: also, the Ghostbloods no. are running that kind Ooh. of service apparently. <laughs> whoever whoever uh, went and picked
2: that up for him better have gotten a you know some hazard pay.
0: Yeah,
1: it's whoever was delivering uh, wit- Wit's letter to uh, Ooh. to uh, G. There you go. Ooh. <laughs> just, I actually really of like ours. that. <laughs>
0: I like
2: that, too. I really like that. In Oathbringer, he gets the letter from patchy
0: Oh, my God. That could I'm, have been the perfect moment. Board. Anyway. He- new headcanon. <laughs> new headcanon. Yeah.
2: <laughs> All right. Um, And then I just have a, a one last... Um, bit I just want to talk about that moment when Kaladin and the swarm of Windspren stop the storm. Yep. Just want to point out this this is indeed a uh, a common point of evidence for Shardplate. I think probably the most common theory right now is that Shardplate is made up of lesser spren. Um, it's it's not like another you know true spren like a you know, honor spren cultivation spren cryptic whatever um that it's for wind runners their plate is made up of wind spren nice. we also have a uh, you know some moments later in this book we have one with dalinar with like glory spren around his hand and and then we have the moment with yasna at the end of the book with the geometric shapes fading around her that could be like logic spren for, perhaps and and uh um yeah, I, I, I do think this is a, a pretty a pretty heavy-handed bit of foreshadowing. Uh, I think that's a good theory that people are making. I agree um, with it. So...
0: Seems clear. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. All right. Are we oh, ready to oh, go into Oh, actually,
2: I lied. I have one more highlighted on the same page. Um, uh, toward another theory. Um, it's in that same scene, you know, like the when Kaladin makes this happen he's trying to save all these people from being just like wrecked by the storm and and uh, Syl tells him Kaladin you can't save them all and then we have another you know in, in one of the later um, uh, epigraphs right in, in the gem drawers one of the the windrunners is like shouldn't I want to save people and so this is another one of those moments. This this uh, this big time theory about Kaladin's fourth ideal being yeah. something along the lines of not being able to save people.
0: I will forgive though mm-hmm. I will forgive myself for those I fail. That's I, I, I planned that out, freaking years ago. I think that is exactly the oath that it's going to be. That's my prediction. I will forgive myself for those I fail. Hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna it's, write it's that a, down. I, I I'm gonna, It's a little more. Uh, <laughs>
1: It's a little more subtle, but um, in um, when he's in Hearth, when Kaladin is in Hearthstone, um, he is trying to get his family out. Like he wants to get them out. Um, I thought that was another like interesting like bit of him wanting to save his family, but them kind of, Liren kind of shuts him down and is like, "I'm not gonna leave." So I don't know. It was a, yeah,
3: yeah. Playing
1: into that same theme that he experiences, I think over the course of this book of realizing that he can't. So there's going to be times when he like can't save the people that he mm-hmm. wants to save.
2: Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah. So mm-hmm. uh, if if, uh, if well, I shouldn't say if. I'm just gonna say when we cover uh, when when we have an episode where the fourth uh, the fourth ideal of the Windrunners is revealed. I'm gonna have that uh, down to see if you're right, Rob. What did you say? It was I will forgive myself for those I fail.
0: That's it. I will forgive myself for those I fail.
2: All right, all right. We're gonna we're gonna see if if we have a Rob gloating session at some point. We may.
0: We very well may. I hope we do because <laughs> I've been thinking this since the end of Words of Radiance, and then we had this moment at the end of Oathbringer where Kaladin is unable to speak that fourth ideal, and at one point he has a thought saying, or he has a thought where he's thinking like uh, maybe it has something to do with. Oh God, I can't remember the actual verbatim now. And Syl just sighs and she says, "Oh." god kaladin when he has that thought i can't remember what the damn thought was maybe it has something to do with his guilt over failure something like that and i went pack, 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 pack. gotta be it i think i'm right so all okay. right okay. that's everything i have to I say i just about- need to say part
1: one. how amazing is it that kaladin tries to convince the storm father to just like stop oh I, think, I know like it's it's such a kaladin moment yep. that he's like what are we gonna do I- I'll just tell the storm father to just stop blowing wind.
2: Right. Like. Yeah. He's like, there is a super hurricane, a Category 15 super hurricane,
0: two hundred <laughs> <laughs> yards away, and I'm, I'm I'm gonna just tell it to turn around. <laughs> hey, listen, let's let's think about the death rattle in the way of kings. I raise my hand. The storm responds. There is something about someone controlling the freaking high storms. There's something there. In some way, so I can see why Cal, like obviously, he doesn't have the context to think of that death rat- that death rattle, but there's something there, and I can see why Kaladin, in his moment of irrational desperation, would would subject himself to begging the Stormfog. Oh, I kind of like that. I, you guys I are both grinning a little that bit over that death one.
2: rattle together with this one. That makes sense. Okay. okay, okay,
0: okay. That's everything I have to say about Oathbringer Part One. I'm ready to go into the final draft. How about you well, guys? Josh, do you have any more? And, uh, I'm done. Okay.
2: Nope. Final draft. Let's do this
0: thing. All right. I'll start since I have the the, the shameful choice. I've been drinking piss again today. I didn't get to the <laughs> liquor store or the beer store. I just grabbed what we had in the fridge, and my stepdad is a huge fan of bush ice, and I just, I drank one. That's all I can stomach. The less I say about bush ice, the better. Oh, boy. Okay, that's fair. I feel ashamed because uh, we have a guest on today who I've never met before, and I have bush ice as my entry. It's... Ugh. Oh, how embarrassing. I know. <laughs> I know. I feel it down in my soul. All
2: right. It's all right. I made up for it. I'm but sure you first, did. First, uh, Josh, what have you been wetting your lips
1: Yo. with? I, um, I, I did have a nice cup of green tea at the mm-hmm. end there, but um, before that, I had... Uh, so I, I'm not like a major beer enthusiast, but I, I'm snobby enough that I like to try craft beer that's around. So this is, um, uh, um, I went to the grocery store and picked this one up from, uh, Southbound Brewing Company in Savannah, Georgia. Ooh, um, Georgia and yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was really nice. It's, um, it was pretty light. It's, I'm not, I'll drink an IPA every once in a while, but it's, this one wasn't super hoppy. Uh, it was just the right amount of, of kind of a hop flavor. So I liked that. Um, I picked it, uh, because we were up in the mountains at Irittharu. It's called Mountain Jam. Nice. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> I
0: like that. I really like that. Excellent. We're still in Irittharu at this point. Excellent. Kick my ass on the final draft. Hell yeah! All right, Drew. What are you? What are you drinking, man?
2: Well, I'm drinking. Oh, I'm, I'm drinking a gem today, guys. I'm drinking a barrel aged imperial stout from Weldworks Brewing Company in collaboration well, with Voodoo Brewing Company in Ooh. Pennsylvania. This is not only a barrel-aged Imperial Stout, but a double-barrel-aged Imperial Stout with bourbon and apple brandy barrels. And, oh my gosh, is this thing good. <laughs> if, uh, I mean, it's, it's boozy, it's thick, it's got that wonderfully sweet malt backbone, and, man, you get that apple brandy. You get that, that sharp, sweet, appley. just, mmm. It's delicious. But even better, even better is the name. So in this part, we had a, a delightful little scene with Reshefir, the Midnight Mother, and this spear is called Midnight Magic.
1: Oh damn! Nice.
3: Oh, it's so, so good.
2: And and a little background on that. So it's a collaboration between Voodoo and Weldworks. Voodoo has a, a you know storied barrel aged program, uh, and they're big time. Uh, stout is called Black Magic and of course Weldworks another nationally renowned brewery for their barrel aged imperial stouts and theirs is called Medianoche which is of course Midnight in Spanish so Midnight Magic
0: oh my goodness Magic of the Midnight Mother I like that and
2: and I will will say I don't know what the ABV is on this because the last few uh, Weldworks barrel aged releases they have not been putting the ABV on it that's legal? Uh, That's not legal guess, up here. Yeah, I, I, I didn't think it was, but a lot of breweries have been doing this recently. So, uh, But yeah, if I had to guess, I'd say this is like a 16%, 17%. I mean, double barrel bourbon and apple brandy. It is, this thing is strong.
0: <laughs> Whoa, dude. I don't yeah, even consider that so. beer anymore. It's just liquor that you chew. <laughs> what the hell is that?
2: Oh, it's delicious this is what it is. And, and Rob, I'm going to tell you, I've said it on so many episodes before, I cannot wait until we can get you down here and I can just pour barrel stouts into the your The collective <laughs> hangover
0: that I will return to Ontario with is going to be legendary. Thank God we have free healthcare up here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh,
2: so, yeah, I, I think that brings us to the end of our discussion for Oathbringer Part 1. This has been Episode 88 of the Inking yep. Out Loud podcast. Next up will be Oathbringer Part 2. We'll be covering the first set of interludes and and then all of Part 2. As always, check us out on Patreon if you want to support the podcast. That's patreon.com slash inkingoutloud. Uh, you You get early access to episodes. You can get a chance to request books for us to read. Rob and I each write monthly short fiction. We got a lot of bonus content, so check us out there. As always, I am your host, Drew McCaffrey. And with me is my co-host rob santos right here and our special guest joshua harkey thanks for coming on thank you
0: thank you so much josh it's been pleasant i love it
2: (laughs) and and uh the plan is for josh to be back on next week as well so uh keep your eyes peeled for that and thanks for listening we'll catch you next time
0: bye everyone